You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, is Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. And on this episode, we have special guests, Jeremy Thompson and Hunter Fox. Jeremy's from Northeastern University. He is a Students for Liberty local coordinator. And then Hunter Fox from Utah Valley University, a regional coordinator with Students for Liberty. You can see your Students for Liberty flag in the background there. Jeremy, you've got the yellow painted wall for Liberty, the yellow Liberty. How's it going today, gentlemen? Pretty great. Yeah, same as Hunter. Listen, if you guys, I know it's, if you could calm down a little bit, though, <laughs> for the interview, it comes through better. A little bit too much excitement, it's not going to work out, so just calm down. Now, we're going to talk about a, uh, a a protest that was going, or at least showing some solidarity, I guess, with what was going on in China. But uh, before we get into the details of all that, whichever one wants to go first, want to know a little bit of a backstory on where you're from and how you got involved with Students for Liberty. I got involved with Students for Liberty back in 2018 back when they had their North their Northeast Regional Conference. I believe that was at Harvard University at the time. Uh, we had Nick Gillespie come down, some people from the ACLU, as well as current U.S. Attorney Rachel Rollins of Massachusetts. Just seeing them and talk about, you know, sex workers' rights, personal freedoms, liberation for basically everybody, uh, I just decided it was my time to join a movement that I felt I believed in. Hunter, how about you? So I, I also... Uh got into Students for Liberty back in 2018. Mine was a little bit different. I was at a junior college out here in Utah called Snow College. I was interested in politics. I didn't know how I wanted to participate. At the time, I was a pretty uh, staunch Trump Republican, if you can believe that. And uh, adjunct professor actually approached me and said, there's no political clubs on campus here. Uh, what's the deal with that? I didn't know. I was in a model United Nations club that I'd started. And so he asked me if I would be interested in starting a libertarian club, said, I'm not a libertarian. He said, that's fine. You just got to be a student. And uh, 
So I hopped in the recruiting associate at SFL at the time, uh, out of the blue. I don't know how he even got my number. Mike Avi gave me a call and uh, asked me if I wanted resources and direction with my club. And I said, yes. And here we are quite a few years later, still with it. That's awesome. We just did a Students for Liberty conference in Miami. That was fun. It was. was a good time. Oh, yeah. Nice and warm. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a great time. Now, we, we do love the Students for Liberty organization, global organization, that does liberty-minded things. Uh, they're very much involved in, in lots of different places. Uh, especially, I, didn't, I didn't even realize how many countries they were involved in, actually. Yeah. Including countries where people are uh, way less free than we are here in the United States, yeah. although, you know, of course, it could be better here as well. So, uh, Jeremy, if I, we'll start with you, I guess. Tell us a little bit about this white paper protest that we've been hearing about. Give us a little background on that and then how you and Hunter got involved. Uh, so the white paper protest uh, originally started in China. As a result of people who were protesting, not being able to speak up for themselves, we had, you know, during the COVID-19, Chinese government wasn't letting people leave their homes. And that resulted in an apartment fire. Uh, I believe like hundreds of people were killed because they couldn't evacuate their apartments. And when people tried to protest against this, you know, they were being silenced. Their social media accounts were being banned. People were being targeted and imprisoned and a whole host of other things. So what they started doing was putting white pieces of paper, blank sheets of paper over their face to kind of symbolize their own, you know, their own protest, their own form of protest. And so we were reached out, you know, Cato reached out to SFL and SFL reached out to us. I was a former regional coordinator, I believe Hunter, you're a current regional coordinator. Kind of just got, got our hands on the ground, both at uh, a stadium, the football stadium in and Fenway State groups of students to go out, show some support with the white papers, you know, covering our faces in solidarity with those who have lost their lives and their abilities to speak up against just the brute force of the Chinese government. Let's talk about the <clears throat> the significance of the white paper, though. I, I thought it was a really cool idea because clearly in China, there's a lot of things that they can't say, that they would get in a lot of trouble if they say. And so i when I first saw that, and apparently this isn't the first time that they've done that, but it was the first time that I've seen it, uh, they were holding up blank sheets of paper. And how do you how do you censor that? And the thing is, it's so obvious what they were protesting that it's not even necessary to put it down on the paper. Every, everyone knows. And uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think about that idea? I thought it was so cool. Yeah, I think it's super interesting the way that people can overcome tyranny, I guess. Um, anything that happens in China right now, any, any protests, any kind of uprising is never about a single issue, even if it's explicitly about a single issue. So the white paper protests were largely about their COVID zero policies, uh, largely about, like Jeremy mentioned, the apartment building that uh, burned in doing that, they're also protesting censorship because they can't protest. They don't have the rights that we do here. They held up these blank pieces of paper to basically just call out the government, to call out tyranny. And in doing so, it really reflected not just on 
their intended target, the COVID policies, but also it showed the censorship. And then it goes in, and since they couldn't explicitly do anything to these protesters, they started going after like the protesters in secret. They started going after journalists, anybody that was talking about it. And so that leads into more of why we did what we did with the demonstration at the Commander's Giants game in D.C., we got a lot of feedback saying, oh, it's over. The protests are over. They relinquished some of the control over the COVID zero policies. What are you guys doing here? But while they were doing that, the CCP was putting out all of this. Wow, look at this. COVID is spiking. Now that we released all these policies, we were right all along. And then they used that cover to start going after the protesters, disappearing them, going after their families, things like that. And so our protest wasn't, or our demonstration wasn't protesting any policy. It wasn't protesting COVID zero. It was really just showing these Chinese people that we are watching and that the CCP cannot get away with killing civilians just because they disagree with policy. Yeah, it was wild seeing a lot of that coverage. You know, you saw videos of them literally welding doors shut Mm -hmm. uh, so people couldn't leave. And and the situation was just getting worse and worse. And, you know, unfortunately ended in uh, several people losing their lives. And then, and then, like you said, they don't have the freedoms we do here. They don't have the protected uh, freedom to protest uh, as we do here to get your voice heard. They can't say whatever they want. And I wonder if we're, if, are we heading that way, do you think? Is that one reason it's important to show that we're with them when they're protesting is to show uh, some people maybe at these football games and everything that, hey, uh, we are with them and also we should be careful because we don't want to go to this place as well. I think we're headed somewhere worse. Maybe not the entire country, but there's a, a good section of popular support for this type of uh, speech restriction and stuff. It's not just coming from a single party, even like the Democrats and the Republicans would both like to restrict their uh, political opponent speech as much as possible. And then that trickles down to the rest of the populace. You have regular everyday people advocating for censorship on social media, which sure it's a private company. We don't need to get into that whole debacle, but censorship is popular in the United States or it's becoming more popular. And I don't think it's necessarily the state that we have to worry about. I think it's each other. I think we need to learn how to communicate better so that we can avoid these problems. I would say we as the U.S. have already been there. I mean, that was literally the point of my community, the Black community, forming the DAP, right? During the Vietnam War, The DAP was a symbol of solidarity amongst Black soldiers who were being killed by their white counterparts. We're in a time now where I feel as though we have, we're moving away from the sense of government, like fascism, essentially, into the space of of a more nuanced and private uh, censorship. But I would say America has already been there. And I I don't know if we're going back. I, I can't necessarily make that assertion, but I would say that we it's a long road to get down to the same place. But yeah. Now you mentioned fascism and, and we say there's so many people on the right that, that talk so much about uh, communism and socialism 
and all that. And then people on the left are very, very scared of the fascists that are going to take everything over. Charlie and I have been saying since we started this podcast that the U.S. is really close to fascism in the first place, especially in the economic sense of it. Though. I mean, the, just like we're talking about, well, it's a private company, and so Twitter can censor whatever they want. Well, clearly the government is having Twitter do this, and, and they can use force over Twitter and Facebook and all these other companies, and it, they basically can tell all of them what to do. They finance a lot of the things that they do. Those companies become reliant on, on that money, and through a sense we have private ownership, and we have government-controlled private ownership of, uh, of property and production. It sounds a lot more like fascism to me than any of the other bad isms that we're worried about. Yeah, I don't disagree. And then, and then I was going to make a point about the protest. I mean, similar to me, similar in nature to uh, you know Kaepernick taking a knee. I think, uh, in my in my opinion, now does that mean he's guaranteed a spot to play quarterback in the NFL? I don't agree. I don't agree with that. But is he does he right? Does he have every right to protest and take a knee, which is a form of silence? To me, it's a it, it it's. It's like this type of protest is almost what they say, like a picture is worth a thousand words because you can speak without having to speak. In a similar fashion of taking a knee, you can speak without having to speak. Yeah, I think, I mean, people talk about fascism a lot. People talk about communism a lot. A lot of people, especially some of the loudest people, don't exactly really understand the concepts. If they did understand it, they'd realize that we're a lot closer than they actually think. And it's not the big evil thing that they think it is. It's happening every day. It's the the FCC is fascism. Like you were mentioning, like the every every we're seeing it a lot right now with like the, the Department of Transportation, actually, and how all of the people are calling on Pete Buttigieg to take more control over the airlines, like with the Southwest uh, issues over the holidays. People are calling for Pete Buttigieg to levy fines, to start restricting these companies even more. And it, at a certain point, you're losing the free marketness of, of capitalism there. If the government can influence your business decisions in a significant way, then that's getting real close to fascism. And it's not the Donald Trump telling everybody to stop taking vaccines kind of fascism. It's, it's real fascism that's more of a problem than I think we pay enough attention to. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about all of you, but I feel like I'm my best self when I'm doing things that I truly care about, like this show, day trading, spending time with my family. When you're overwhelmed, it can be tough to find the motivation to spend time with loved ones or work on a project you need to get done. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. When you feel confident, empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I'm one of the many people that have benefited from therapy. It helped me filter through all the noise, get down to the root cause of my problems so I could actually solve them and move on. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com gml today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. The, the thing that scares me a lot that we've been talking about for a while, too, is that people on both the left and the right 
like our third episode ever as a podcast, and this is episode 910. I think our third episode ever, we said that the scariest thing was that the right and the left, the only thing they could agree on was that they hated corporations. And that was the, <clears throat> the main things that they could agree on. And then you get the good arguments like, well, we need to regulate. We'll use the social media companies again. Or uh, look at Moderna and Pfizer, and maybe they're doing some shady stuff in the background. But they're, they are so interconnected with the government now that, yeah, you can say they're doing bad things, and so we should regulate them or find them or whatever, but they're so closely connected to the government that it's really still a government problem. And then we use that as a reason to say the government should do even more about what it, whatever it is that we don't like that they're doing. And we never consider whether or not the government should have any place in, say, antitrust, or that, which antitrust is like one of my big things that I will go, I'll die on the hill if I have to, <laughs> but it's a very unpopular thing. I hate antitrust laws. Uh, but they use that to control the entire economy. So you love monopoly. And unfortunately, people, yeah, I love it. Love Monopoly. Unfortunately, people on the right also just want to regulate the businesses uh, and control. Now, what I was wondering is, uh, Hunter, you said that you were a Trump Republican. And now here you are with a Student for Liberty banner behind you. And I don't you know, I don't know what your Trump Republican meter is right now. But if a switch did happen, how did that happen other than running a Students for Liberty group? How did what was that process like? Because we need to figure out how to replicate that for people. I say that to people on here all the time. Whatever the change was in in either one of you guys, if you had different ideas and now you're more libertarian, we need to figure out how that happened and realize that other people could also make that change if we talk to them in the right way, I guess. Especially with the MAGA crowd, because that's that's pretty cultish. Yeah. Yeah, we so got to do that. So, so to have Hunter, you know, release his cult-like <laughs> How did you get out of the cult? How did you get and out of you, the cult? And do you feel like you're in danger? So actually, I mean, no, I don't feel like I'm in danger, but being here in Utah, there's a, a real divide in, like, the Republican Party here. You have the Mitt Romney Republicans that somehow he got elected. And then you have, like, the Mike Lee, Donald Trump esque they're all kind of the same crowd out here uh, basically what what happened for me was i took a intro to political science class realized kind of how these systems work like that distinction that i made earlier talking about the the fascism conversation you hear all these buzzwords you listen to what they tell you they are and then you don't go any further but when you've got uh an exam worth 25 percent of your grade on what fascism is like that puts things into perspective for you. And I was definitely, I was for Donald Trump in the same way that a lot of people are. They, I mean, his biggest base is young disaffected white males. And that, that was me. I felt like I was powerless in the political system. I felt like my voice didn't matter. I, my principles were fairly conservatarian, uh, but I liked what he was doing. I liked that he was giving a voice to the blue collar people. I didn't grow up with very much means. And so it felt like he was talking to my people, to my family, stuff like that. And then getting more into his presidency, like I said, it wasn't until about 2018, 2019 that I really like made the switch into libertarianism. 
um, you started to see the stuff that he was talking about was not very conservative. I mean, maybe conservative in the, the modern sense of the word, but I was for small government, uh, leave me alone, cut the taxes, and that's that's it. And then two, three years into his presidency, you're not seeing any of that. You're seeing, why does he want to build this wall? Like he's he basically built his presidency around building the wall. And that doesn't reflect any conservative values. Like there's no conservative values against freedom of movement. There's no conservative values against immigration. It's really just a cultural thing that he said, I appeal to blue collar workers. They, these blue collar workers feel that Mexicans are coming in and doing a bunch of crime and stealing jobs. So that's what I'm going to push really hard on. And then that opened my eyes to the rest of the Republican party, which were just at the time following along with what he said, he hadn't quite gone off the ledge yet. And so he still had a ton of popular support in the Republican party. And I just looked at everybody and I was like, why is nobody doing anything about this? Why aren't we like cutting taxes for the middle class? And why aren't we helping people? And uh, then got into Students for Liberty, started seeing all of these ideas about how, or about like what actual small government looks like. And because that was also a shock for me. I had no idea what small government was supposed to mean. I thought it meant like, oh, we just spend a little bit less money. And uh, now we got to, we got to get rid of a lot of things. <laughs> but now you're more like, okay, we got to get rid of all the agencies. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, uh, we've got, we've taken a lot of heat on this podcast for always being objective. I mean, but we've been objective about every president, every candidate for president. And, you know, Trump did some things that I, that I didn't hate. You know, he was, a, he was able to cut a, a lot of regulations. He did stick to his word on, on cutting three regulations for every one that they added. There was a little bit, a little bit of a tax cut. I think the corporate tax cut is actually a good thing, uh, especially from a libertarian perspective. Anytime you can reduce taxes on production, uh, from an economic sense, uh, everyone wins. Uh, everyone would win. But the problem is the spending went way up. He um, still signed the bills that increased spending. exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I do also like that no new wars were started. However, there were just as many uh, drone bombings, if not more, and and some other things that happened. So it's but. But it seemed to be that those who follow Trump, it's very difficult for them to be objective. It's almost like, and I think this comes back to your earlier point, Hunter, which is maybe maybe the most important one, which is maybe we're not even dealing with a, a political war anymore, so to speak, that maybe the actual uh, culture war is what's happening and people are following ideologies and they have this sense, almost this religious sense of like, if you're not with me, you're against me. And so you have like the, the Trump followers and then like the anti-Trump followers. And those are your like two biggest crowds, it seems, which isn't true because most people are actually in the middle, but the loudest, I guess, groups. And then there's all this hate for each other. And it's almost like the government doesn't really have to enforce any type of power because the citizens are the one that are actually asking the government to enforce power and more power. And you saw that with COVID, you know, neighbors turning neighbors in, uh, people angry that you weren't taking a, a shot or whatever the case may be. And so it's almost like uh, maybe the culture itself is fostering uh, this, you know, 
this political war that we're in. It really starts with the culture war. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to just throw on same thing what Charlie just said, but uh, like Jeremy, what do you think it is? Is our society just asking to be governed? We want someone to be in control. Do you think that makes people feel safer? Not necessarily. It depends on which communities you're asking, right? I think at the end of the day, I don't share a lot of the same sentiments that are held on this uh, on the show or or on this call right now. But where I do think that we can agree is that I do believe in the process in the ability of people to prosper, right? I think that that's where we can stand together. And we're in a very weird time in our society right now where there is no one activist leader, there is no one speaker for a community. And so what you're seeing today is that a lot of people are breaking off into smaller communities, looking to be the leaders for themselves and no one has any direction. So right now, yes, we are in a society where people are constantly looking for just one person to follow. If not so, then they're looking to amass communities to you know follow together based off of what one person is doing. Kind of like a networking effect, but we are we're in a very weird space overall for you know the state of activism or wherever you may be. I know for me, I was in a very weird space being involved with the LP for a time. I served as the operations director for the Libertarian Association of Massachusetts in uh, 2021, and that was a time <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. But uh, <laughs> to say the least. But yeah, we, we are in a very weird space. And I think you see that even in this movement, be it with, you know, the purity tests or the, you know, you have to be a libertarian in only this one way. I'm more of a left-leaning libertarian. Actually, right now I'm more of a Democrat, right? And that is, it's a really weird space to be, to still be involved um, and have people still, you know, there's no one to look forward to. There's no one really to speak or who people consider their speaker. And if there is that person, it's different for various subgroups across the movement. So and that, and that's, it's, it's such like a, a weird question. Well, and I think that that may be what I, what I was asking in the sense is that, is it, are we a lost people? And not even just in the U S I'm talking uh, globally, you know, have we, maybe prospered so much as a, as a, as humans, we've reached a, 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 you know, a pinnacle of success technically considering uh, where we've come from over the last couple hundred years that uh, people are lost in a sense. And so we're looking for that direction. And so it, with no real direction in sight, it's almost like we're still devolving into that tribal sense where we see this, uh, if you're not with me, you're against me type of, rhetoric or even, you know, flat out, uh, violence. Yeah, I would say inherently, like we all come from tribalism. That's how all of us were developed. That's how all of our nations were developed. That's even how we operate in our close circles. I wouldn't say that makes us lost, but I would say that makes us susceptible to, you know, a lot of harms like misinformation or even disinformation, right? It, we, I feel like we are very weak. Right. We are very, um, uh, I don't mean to say weak in the sense is that we have no power, but we are weak in the sense that we don't have the fortitude to really parse through, be it information or false leader or whatever may have you. I mean, look at George Santos in New York right now. Nobody thought to look into his background before he was, you know, confirmed. And so we, we come into these weird situations. But at the end of the day, it, it really just does boil down to inherently we organize ourselves into tribes and we kind of just stick with them and it 
it leaves us vulnerable to a lot. What one thing? Uh, so I think a question for both of you, and uh, I guess Jeremy, uh, since we're talking about this right now, you said you're more uh, left leaning, maybe even a Democrat, uh, but we are. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot of libertarianism today. One thing I'm wondering is what are some of the major agreements? Like what, what is it that we have in common? And then since you're more coming from the left perspective, what could guys like us or your, uh, your hardcore libertarian purists do uh, to reach out better to people, say, on the left? And then uh, Hunter, I would ask the exact same thing, only from the uh, Trump cult perspective <laughs> kidding i don't i'm not trying to be offensive about that it's just a serious though uh you want to hit this first <laughs> yeah sure so i'm actually i may have uh glossed over it a little bit but i did come from the the trump right i'm also a little bit more of a left libertarian i wouldn't say go as far okay. as to say like approaching the democratic party at all i i still have a, a great bit of disdain for the democratic party and, and what they stand for especially on like economic positions and stuff like that but i think we're seeing a shift in both parties a little bit they're they're definitely changing the biggest things that i am concerned about like the policy issues stuff so war on drugs i'm very big into that human rights things like that we're starting to see younger people not care about that stuff as much, like not care about enforcing those laws. Like we we're seeing the end of the drug war coming along, even on like the Trump right. We're seeing conservatives more or less, the younger conservatives standing up for human rights. Uh, most of the young conservatives I know don't care too much about stuff like gay marriage, unless they're sort of the more like religious conservatives. Uh, a lot of like the social issues are being kind of just left to like the evangelical Republicans to fight for. So I think that's something that is going to be a big help for us, especially in like this transitionary period where we still have geriatric politicians that are out of touch with society. As we start to get more like millennials and then even into Gen Z into public office around the country, I think we're going to start seeing a more socially liberal Republican Party, which I, I think is great. I think it's going to be rough for a little while before we get there. But I do think that that's something that we're starting to see more eye to eye on. Obviously, most Republicans already think that we agree economically, though we likely don't. And then a lot of Republicans agree with like on gun policy, stuff like that. So there's the obvious connections. But I think the big thing to see is just in our generation taking on more of those like socially liberal policies in the Republican Party. Agree, agree. Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, in talking left it's it's a little harder to get into right you know our movement politically has had over 30 years of fusionism with the GOP and and that is very tough to break away from right it is very tough for us to reach across the aisle at this time because although we may want to consider ourselves outside of the political outside of the political spectrum one could argue that the liberty movement inherently has placed itself 
in the position of the Green Party, but for the GOP, for what the Green Party is to the Democratic Party, Libertarian Party is to the GOP in a lot of ways. So there, it gets it gets a little murky when we're talking about strategy, right? But there are certain figureheads that we have uh, at our disposal, right? We have Furman Supreme, Joe Jorgensen, you know, even Spike, his ability to go out and speak to BLM protesters, Furman Supreme's ability to capture the minds and attention of Gen Z. Actually, right now, more than more than ever, young Democrats are, especially Gen Z Democrats, are coming up with already libertarian values instilled in them. You know, just off the basis of I accept someone socially, you know, as long as they're not hurting me or mine, you know, I don't really care what you do with your life as it relates to trans issues, black issues or whatever else comes their way. Gen Z is generally more accepting and libertarians have a unique opportunity to align ourselves with that front, at least socially, economically. There there are slight disagreements, especially generational disagreements. But those aren't necessarily the focus. Inflation is rarely ever a mean talking point when it's not an issue for our, you know, our country. But what's consistently a talking point almost every year, every day, is things like race, gender, you know, these social issues that impact people both in the private and public sectors. So we really do need to get a better job, a better handle, at least, on those issues. That's good. Yeah. Where where can people go to get involved with uh, what either one of you guys are doing? I guess you're you're in different regions, I know. So we need to know if they need to go to uh, just one general website, or if they're in your areas where they can go to to keep up with what's going on, or maybe even even join up and help out. So for Students for Liberty, we are all both me and Jeremy are in the North America region. That's it's split up globally. But you can go ahead and go to studentsforliberty.org and select North America. Then you can go to programs, select local coordinator programs, and it's got the application there if you're interested in joining up. If you're a student uh, somewhere in North America, actually, if you're a student anywhere in the world, we can uh, we can take care of that for you. But there's that. Yeah, I've got some things that I'm working on out here. Uh, I've got... Like I said, I'm big into drug policy. If anybody wants to check out futureofpsychedelics.org, uh, we're putting on a conference in Denver in May, and it's going to be the largest student-organized psychedelic research and policy conference in the nation. And uh, yeah, that's what we're up to. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. I was going to say, you know, Ecker Hunter Sentiment, you know, Sign up at sfl.org if you're a student. If not, I think peopleforliberty.org is another great place to go if you're an adult and you're looking for other ways to, you know, enter this movement, figure out your place. You're not really sure, you know, what kind of libertarian you are yet. It's a perfect place to get to understand yourself a little bit more, flesh out those ideas, and then get funneled into the right orgs. As far as what I'm doing, I do run a financial consultancy here in Boston, littleliberty.org. You can check us out. A lot of that works around promoting financial literacy and education within communities of color. But yeah. Excellent. And if you wouldn't mind, well, I guess I could say this after we finish up, but uh, if you guys could email me those websites, I'm not sure I'm going to pick up all of them, but uh, just so you guys and everyone else who is listening knows, Nate at goodmorningliberty.us. That's how you, you contact me with stuff. I love the People for Liberty shout out. That's one of our favorites. Every time we've talked to Dr. Jorgensen about it, it's uh, been a really good Really good chat. So it seems like a great organization. And we love Dan too, even though he just yeah, I think he just he just resigned. 
from there. But still a yeah, good guy. everybody loves Dan. I'm kind of sad. Yeah, <laughs> Dan is Dan is the man. One hundred. Well, gentlemen, it was, it was excellent to meet both of you. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing with uh, for Liberty. And we believe that the freer people can be, the more prosperous they can be. So I, I do like that sentiment you made there, Jeremy. And also uh, standing up for human rights. I think this is really important. Um, and it's important to uh, not only say what you believe, but go out and, and demonstrate what you believe. So thank you both for joining in and speaking with us today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.